This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, my name is Grigor Dimitrov. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Vilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. We're not in a car today, Catherine. We're standing next to the practice courts, which are utterly deserted. We've had the afternoon session, uh, the first of the quarterfinals, women's and men's. We're before the night session here on Tuesday, and it is a bit strange seeing the practice courts deserted, isn't it? Well, Serena Williams was there until moments ago, Serena plus Entourage, which includes a man who... As far as I can tell, I, I don't doubt that he has other roles that I don't witness on a day-to-day basis. I'm seeing a mere fragment of the factory production line, but of the fragment that I see, all he does is apply her sunscreen for her. <laughs> I, want, I want a person who does that for me. And there is another person that just carries the dog in a handbag, and that that's a great job she's that's got there. That's the job you're applying for, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, I just got the dog into the prime coverage, and I'm positively beaming you, you about should, it. You should see the look on her face. Do right you know now. what the dog is called? Go on. Christopher Chip Raphael Nadal Williams. <laughs> They've actually <laughs> they're actually given Raphael Nadal as his middle yeah, name. It's got the name of a Tory MP. <laughs> or as many names as a Tory MP. That's fantastic. You put Esquire off. I was going to say, you're telling me Raphael Nadal's a Tory MP? <laughs> okay. Um... The other thing I should say is I've actually had to take the long way around to get to your studios here. We have to walk around the practice course. And the reason I had to do that is because there is the biggest queue imaginable outside the practice course, which I suspect means that Roger Federer isn't too far away. I don't think he practices here, does he? He probably He's probably going he do, on the Arthur Stadium. Pre, he does pre-match. Does he? I think what they do is they schedule them on here, and then if there's a sufficiently long gap on Arthur Ashe um, for them to practice on on there then then they do that but he's been practicing here a lot oh really I mean I I would think that there will be a there's a fairly long gap it's about 5.30 as we come to you now Uh, matches in the evening session start at 7 o'clock the the matches well I mean one of them was four sets Stan Wawrinka against uh, Daniel Medvedev Medvedev's won (laughs) Medvedev's in the semis 
We're not going to include that in the podcast, though, because this is the tennis podcast, and I don't know if what I just saw was tennis okay. or Tell some me more. otherworldly sport that yeah. Daniil what? Medvedev is playing and trolling us all with. What I don't know. It? I don't well, know. He's the first person I've ever seen who's effectively trolled Stan Wawrinka <laughs> yeah. and, and got away with it without getting... Bullied him. I mean, you know, I, I tend to think that if you <laughs> do... if Most people, I think, if they tried to do to Stan Wawrinka what Medvedev just did, might get laid out. You know, because I could imagine Stan just losing his rag and knocking him out. Uh, but Yeah, but I'm, it was like Stan had been... Well, I mean, what was that? He, his head was scrambled. It was such an awful tactical performance from Stamford Rinker. I think this is what the, what Medvedev does to people. He just yeah. makes you feel well, completely that, discombobulated. That's what that's what he did. Uh, it was. I was commentating on the first two sets of it, and it's. I mean, to start with. Uh, Medvedev came onto the court he said afterwards he said I felt fine coming onto the court and then I started to get pain in my thigh and he was getting he said he felt sick. perfect yeah. coming on the court <laughs> he, and he, he got one of those massages that I'm convinced is doing an injury more than the original <laughs> injury because uh, the trainer comes on and pokes his thumb into the muscle and I'm like leave him alone that, that's horrible um, and, then, and then he wrapped up the, the thigh with the biggest strapping I've ever seen you know sort of it was kind of duct tape followed by bandage on top and he played two then games with that sort of blue cellophane that <laughs> went on there yeah then he then he then he played two games with that and then he went back to his chair and he said take them off <laughs> so he and like cut them all off <laughs> yeah. and he played with nothing um and so while all this is going on he managed to hit i think he hit three double faults in a row he hits nine double faults in about an hour. He hit um, nine double faults in the opening set and won it. Yeah, and won it. And I just... I, <laughs> I, I couldn't really get what was going on. And I, I genuinely think that neither could Stan Wawrinka because he was, he was not very good today, Stan Wawrinka. Who's coming onto the practice court here? We've got, some, we've got plenty of uh, players coming on. And uh, I think that's Grigor Dimitrov. Hello, Grigor. Yeah, I think that's Grigor's dad. Yeah. Okay. So they're in the distance coming on. Um, what, what, what was your sense of it? Because I mean, s- s- tactically, I felt like I figured it out what Medvedev was doing or how he was winning the match just after this, that first set had been played. But what was your sense? I thought it was an absolute masterclass in deployment of energy and tactics only when required. Yeah. Um, in term, he's a master of match management, isn't he? Yeah. Which is a sort of in vogue sort of a phrase. And also, you don't know what's going on in his mind because you, you, it would it would have been just as <laughs> just as likely from perceptions that he might have just retired as it was for him to go and win the match. Yeah. Well, towards the end of the uh, <laughs> the first set, we had Mark Petri, Jim Courier, and John McEnroe in commentary. And towards the end of the first set, when Medvedev is, you know, strolling around, um, getting various parts of his body taped up, um, McEnroe goes, well, this match is a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Which are the same things, thinking, are. John, it's fine. He's been this injured for the last month. <laughs> He's been fine. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and he said in, in the post-match interview, he said, oh, again, he sort of implied that he might have been thinking about retiring from the whole thing. He was asked, Tom Rinaldi's first question was, you know, you're into your first 
Grand Slam semi-final, how do you feel? And he said, I feel really strange about it. <laughs> the whole match was so strange. <laughs> Daniel Medvedev is all of us. I've got to go and make telly. Yeah, Catherine's going to go and make telly, and we'll be back in a minute. Well, that was a false alarm. I was all very excited because TV was about to be made, and I went and actually sat in the studio. It was all, I was loving it, but you, nothing happened. You just got to see how the sausage isn't made. Yeah. And basically, what, th- that's what happens when it goes to a third set, when everybody's thinking the match is over and Catherine has to make magic happen. Yes, an unexpected uh, Azarenka Barty fight back. Oh. Suddenly, we're into a third set, and more tennis podcast is being recorded. Who are they playing? Babol Shmodanovic, the oh, top seeds. Quite fancy watching that. Tell you what, forget this. Let's go and watch that. Um, so Grigor Dimitrov has just come and gone off the practice court. That, that didn't last long, did it? They don't practice he's, very long, do he's they? He's swapping with Federer. So as Dimitrov is hitting on practice court five, furthest from us here, Roger Federer is hitting on Arthur Ashe Stadium. Right. And now they're swapping. So Roger Federer's arrival here is imminent and Dimitrov oh. has gone inside to hit on Ash. Oh, that's good. Cross insi- off the presses. That's good inside this is info. what happens when you have something in your ear and oh. people can I get one of those? Make you look informed. They sound great. Uh, we were talking about Daniel Medvedev and we were talking about his strategy. And yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. The way he, he, I don't know whether he went in with a preordained plan to to play like that. I, I think I, he's trusts himself to figure out the plan. That's what I according thought. to the situation. And I think that that's one of the reasons that poor old Stan was so messed about by it that he didn't understand what was happening down the other end and what was happening is that aside from all the double faults and 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 I mean it really the, the idea that Medvedev won that first set is frankly <laughs> absurd really given what was going on I mean if you look at even if you look at all the stats he'd served nine double faults way more than his opponent he, he'd got fewer winners few, more unforced errors and yet he won the set I, don't I, f- I find it absurd that he that uh, Vavrinka didn't win the fourth set after having won the third and suddenly energised the crowd and yeah. himself how he didn't carry that momentum through over a sort of zero-legged opponent um, <laughs> is beyond me really Medvedev's never won a five-set match before no so had he, had he just been able to nick that fourth zero for four wasn't yeah. it yeah but what did happen was in the second set it suddenly became clear that Medvedev was putting in kind of half efforts on once once he got himself ahead he would play quick fire tennis and try and hit a couple of winners and, and break which he did and then or and occasionally he would just play a, a marathon rally one one of them Vavrinka genuinely did not know what was coming next it seemed to me and then on Vavrinka service games thereafter he would either try and slap a winner or he would just not even try I mean if if there is an argument if you if you are of the view that a tennis player should try on every point you could say that Daniel Medvedev could have been up, up in court for tanking that's an absurd that view though isn't it no it is uh, an absurd view and I don't agree with it at trying all trying to win a tennis uh, match he, he just tried to win a tennis match in a different way by taking several breaks and my goodness it worked yeah he's qualified for London right. number four, guaranteed number four in the world now qualified for London London are going to love him <laughs> well the O2 is going to love him I'm not sure Wimbledon will love him but yeah. it's well he's, an, he's just an interesting character in so many although different although he ways. loves Wimbledon doesn't he grass is his favourite surface yeah he, he's he's a a contender in all sorts of ways I think clay will always be a nightmare for him really I would have thought because of his flat game but uh, the the, the, the impact it had on Vavrinka I found the most interesting of all and the impact it had on the crowd because they you know 
Vavrinka is a master at getting the crowd involved, and Medvedev stopped it. He ref- he just didn't play ball. He didn't allow Vavrinka to become inspired. And crucially, being in the top half of the draw, he now gets two days off, two full days off, yeah. um, as well as that little bit extra because Federer plays in the night session tonight, although I doubt that'll come into play. So, you know, he could be a revived, resuscitated Daniil Medvedev for the semi-finals. What a prospect that would be. I just can't see it somehow. I don't care how long well, he's gone I mean, off. and also, he plays his best tennis when he's Mr Bump, so... <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. So well done to him. He got through. And uh, and even, I mean, you know, the match was not exactly a thriller and it was a bit underwhelming. And even the on-court interview... This is a bummer. Yeah. Even the on-court... <laughs> even, you know, people were literally tuning in for the on-court interview afterwards. <laughs> yeah. and Which was disappointing. He'd set a high bar. <laughs> he'd set a high bar. But, I mean, I... First and foremost, Tom Rinaldi, just ask him to do... I don't know, don't... Just rile him up or something. <laughs> Ruffle his feathers, pop him one. <laughs> I have My Daniil Medvedev fix has not been satisfied today. You can't just sort of lay it on, turn on the, on the wrestling baddie every time you fancy being entertained. <laughs> There, yeah, would, there would have could. been ways of doing maybe it. Maybe he could. Maybe I'd have he... said, do, no, dance today, Daniil. Do us a dance. <laughs> I mean, Give us your best Conor McGregor. Let's, let's be honest, wrestlers do just turn it on whenever they feel like it. So maybe Medvedev needs to get with his own programme. Uh, yeah. Anyway, he's through to the semi-finals <laughs> of the Grand Slam tournament, so maybe we should shut up. Um, he's joined in the semi-finals on the women's side by Alina Svitolina who beat Johanna Conta 6-4, 6-4 what were your impressions of what you saw there? That Svitolina was simply too good not too many regrets for Conta I'm sure some people will point to the number of unforced errors she hit but that's what Svitolina does to her game she takes her out of her comfort zone she makes her feel like she's got to go for too much she in a very very different more orderly way to what Daniil Medvedev did to Stan Wawrinka scrambled Joe Conta's brain yeah. Conta's been talking all tournament about how Dmitry Zavilov what, a contributing factor in her clarity of thought on the court um, and all of that was gone today it looked cloudy mm. in her head she was forcing it um, and that's what Alina Svitolina does to a lot of people that head to head 4-0 um doesn't lie does it it's just tennis is all about matchups and that matchup works for Svitolina I would have got both of those predictions today wrong in fact I did get them both wrong I thought Conta would take her out today and I thought she would do it in uh, a controlled aggressive manner and just break her down and I felt I felt it might sound harsh because I know Conta felt she played quite well and she just got outplayed I know that the majority of the British media felt that this was not a, a result to lament in the way that they they did with the semi-final at the French Open and the quarter-final at Wimbledon particularly the quarter-final at Wimbledon and actually Conta referenced that as one she was disappointed with I still felt a bit disappointed with this from a Conta perspective I felt like 
she didn't play as well as she had throughout the rest of the tournament. Now, obviously, a part, big she part of that. She didn't, but she can't. Her opponent, I, I understand her opponent is a part of that. I just, my mind goes back to the, the match I saw them play at the start of 2018, where Conta won the first set 6 1 in Brisbane and should have won the second set and won the match. She ended up losing it on a tiebreak and then pulling out halfway through the third with, a, with a, an injury. I think she rolled something. But I just feel as though. She, well, she did lose her timing a little bit today. She wasn't as authoritative and reliable off the ground. And it was 24 winners, 35 unforced errors. Obviously, there's a combination of her opponent in that. But I still felt like I expected more from her. So Selena's better than she was Yeah. 18, she is. 20 months ago, isn't she? I think she's actually a lot better. I think she she's figured out a formula now. She's... She's still never going to be a big hitter, but she's got that little bit extra weight of shot so that that's no longer a glaring weakness in her game. But she also just has this incredible ability to be a backboard. Mm. Her um, best self is coming out at the slams now, which is she was notable by its absence. No titles on tour this year, but her best Grand Slam results by far, whereas previously she's been... She's been Alexander Zverev, hasn't she? Yeah. Those have been the comparisons. Definitely. Plenty of tour titles, I think, four last year, five the year before. You can tell I've read Matt's notes, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, but absolutely, or relatively, nothing at the slams. And I'm, I'm, I'd be pretty sure she's happier with that reversed state of affairs than she was before. And it all seemed to start... Um, with the run in Singapore, didn't it? Which yeah. came completely out of nowhere. She was on a five-match losing streak or something going into yeah. that. And it, I mean, I don't like to talk about people's personal lives very much. It's none of my business, and I don't. I'd have, I think it's too easy a conclusion to jump to. But it is notable or noticeable just how there for each other she and Gail Monfils are visibly in the, the, their support teams they're now prepared to talk about one another they practice together and look at their results right now I mean I, I is that just coincidence who knows but it's it's happening no I agree I mean I instinctively hate the narrative mm. of oh they're in a relationship therefore they're happy on the off the court therefore happy uh, on the court as if sort of single tennis players everywhere are definitely definitely all miserable crying themselves to sleep and unable to play play tennis but in this instance that does seem to be the case i mean they genuinely are one another's hitting partners they they really really are and she's clearly benefiting from that um because she's hitting with somebody with that Wait, she's talked about I think it's the flatness of his ball although is it all I mean I don't think of him as a particularly flat hitter but that's what she said um, and his way to shot obviously she said it's um, improved her reactions mm. um, because the ball's coming at her that much quickly than it that much more quickly than it than it does in her um, competitive matches so yeah it's working I mean if they break up which they did briefly that's going to be messy <laughs> So I, I hope they don't because they've really, they've really embraced now being public about it. And you know they do, they did a um, a video for the USTA, which was made available to all broadcasters, where they hit together, mic'd up, on the grandstand court, all and right. we're sort of narrating the whole experience. We've got it. It's one of our rain delay in the bag, <laughs> VTs, which we haven't <laughs> yet run um, because it's 
well it's been it's it's actually called mic'd up um interesting and it's yeah it's but anyway they're very much embraced being public so if that goes wrong it's going very very wrong i hope it doesn't good luck to them um you also as part of your you do a half an hour build of every day you had virginia wade in to the studio today oh, she was cracking yeah uh, she was brilliant and, and i was really entertained so by, much the, fun. by the chat and uh, and also the the pictures shown of her winning the title here serving and volleying billy jean king off a court in america and she she even sold herself short with the score, didn't she? She thought it was six four six three. It turned out to be six four six two. And I mean, it, you know, she she was. It was interesting just getting her view on how certain volleys back in fashion, and and she was clearly loving all. Her that. eyes just lit up. Yeah. In in an interview, shortly after that final, she was asked about it, and she said it was a race to see who could get to the net first. I mean, how much of a throwback does that feel? Yeah. Nineteen sixty eight. She beat. The third seed in <laughs> she beat the third seed in the quarterfinals. The second seed Anne Jones in the semi-finals, and the top seed Billie Jean King in the final. It was the first time she'd ever taken a paycheck. It was the second professional tournament she had won, but the previous one she'd won in Bournemouth, I think. Um, she didn't take the prize money check because she wasn't sure at that point if she was good enough to actually turn pro. So she said, well, I'll, I'll you take, your, take your money. I'm going to think about it for a while. And then she goes and wins the US Open. And the other thing she said was that she had no idea what time that match was starting because the men's semifinals had to be played first. Yeah. And uh, she said there was a chance because those went long that that match that the final wasn't going to be played yeah. that day, which well, is I mean, extraordinary. I'm, I'm old enough to remember... Super Saturday from the early 90s when they used to play at that point on, on the Saturday they would play the men's semi-finals followed by the women's final followed by the second men's semi-final and in 1992 they, the first men's semi-final was Stefan Edberg beating Michael Chang in more than five hours then it was Arantxa Sanchez against I think Steffi Graf in a three-setter uh, and then I mean, Jim Curry, you've got him in with, you, with you on your team. He then played Pete Sampras, I guess, at about 10 o'clock at night in a semi-final, and they played four sets. Um, it's, it's bonkers to and think then the about next, Super Saturday being a yeah, thing And now, then the next it? day, Stefan Edberg, having played f- the longest match in US Open history, the next day came out and played Pete Sampras in the final and beat him. Um, I mean, it was incredible. And he'd already played two five-set matches the previous two rounds as well. I always remember 03 Roddick against Nalbandian, the uh, the Super Saturday semi final, yeah. um, and then him coming out and he did it. He came back and beat Juan Carlos Ferrero in the final the next day. But that feels so alien now. To and actually, think that, that happened until quite recently. I think previous to that, I think in the in the eighties, I, I think there was there was a Super Saturday that actually changed the rules because there was one period where they played a Legends match that went the distance followed by two men's semis that both went the distance followed by the women's final So the the women's final finalists are sat there in the locker room waiting for a a Legends doubles match to finish Plus two five-set men's matches I believe that was in the mid-80s I think that's the order that it happened That's ideal, that That changed things a little but it wasn't until only a handful of years ago that Super Saturday was shelved altogether. Extraordinary, really. 
So, Catherine, the night session is still to come. You're going to go and do some more telly. I think I might actually have to make telly this yeah. time. Yeah, so Catherine's going to go and make telly. I'm going to go and make radio. And then we'll be back later to make more podcast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Well, Roger Federer is out of the US Open, beaten by Grigor Dimitrov in five sets. And excuse me if I'm a bit shocked because I did not see that coming for all the normal reasons that we always talk about. The fact that Federer has always owned Dimitrov. His record was 7-0 against him. Grigor's gone through a terrible time of late, really, on the court. He's lost so many matches. He's had a, a shoulder injury. He's had no confidence whatsoever, no real seeming identity to his game anymore. He, he was really struggling with his serve for a long time. But, you know, there's two factors here. One is Roger Federer was injured tonight. That much is clear. Um, he started to really show signs of it visibly, I thought, about three and a half sets in, maybe a bit earlier. Um, but he was telling us afterwards that, that it's something that he came into the match with. And now it's always a tricky one, that, isn't it? Because both he and Novak Djokovic a couple of nights together, there are pains to, to not blame things or to, certainly to take away credit from their opponents. But... At the same time, he got pushed tonight in the press conference and he, he admitted that, you know, it was something that he'd come into the, the match feeling. And it, it did take me back to early on in the match where Catherine and I were messaging one another and she said that she thought Federer looked nervous when he came out onto the court, which 
I must admit, I didn't pick up on. But now when I think about it in hindsight, you know, may, maybe he was. And maybe he was uncertain of, of this physical situation. And, and it might have affected the way he was planning to play the match. I mean, in the first set, not a, not a bit of it. He was three love up within minutes. And he was doing what he always does against Gregor, which is just rushing him and messing him around and and asking him questions that nobody asks him and uh and Dimitrov looked a bit panicked which uh, which he's often looked against Federer he's only ever won two sets against him in seven matches hasn't won any of those at all and I I did think Federer would still find a way to win even when Dimitrov was coming back at him and I thought um, Catherine and I had spoken beforehand that we th- both thought Grigor, given the way he's playing this week and he's had some decent wins beating Alex Diminor, you know, you need to be on your game to beat that guy because he doesn't give it to you. Um, we thought he might win a set or and push Federer and certainly play okay, but when he was 4-1 down, it, was, it seemed very unlikely in many ways. Um, but what was key, clear was that he was really up for it. He was on it. He was, his feet were alive. Dimitrov's tonight and uh, and therefore Federer had to beat him because I don't think there's anybody who moves better than Dimitrov around around a hard court particularly he, his his speed off the market his his flexibility his ability to manipulate a tennis ball he really is hard to get the ball past um, but Federer has become a past master at doing it against him his particular style but yeah after the into the fourth set, certainly you started to see that there was something wrong with Federer. And he was, I mean, he was missing a lot all the way through the match. And that, and that was, that would have been a concern for Federer fans. He was missing that forehand. And when he starts to do that, like he did against Kevin Anderson at Wimbledon last year and against uh, John Millman here a year ago, you start to wonder really whether he's going to be able to put enough together in order to win and there were moments when he went flat out just went for broke and uh, and it wasn't happening for him on a consistent level uh, at the end of the fourth set he went off the court and he had some treatment um, I, I think he's sort of chiropractic treatment because he was talking about needing a crack uh, of his back um, but when he came out he he lost the next four games so it wasn't happening for him um, he just I mean I suppose he could have chosen to retire because it was looking really unlikely that he would win at that point but he's never retired in his career that's that's always been his view is to try not to retire um but it was um a pretty forlorn looking Federer as he left the court and even more so when he came into the press comments afterwards because he knows this was an opportunity not only because he felt he was playing well but because Novak Djokovic wasn't there and that doesn't happen too often, um, and uh, and it really opens the door now for Rafael Nadal to get that 19th Grand Slam title, close to one within one of Federer, um, for the first time in, well, ever. I, I I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think that, I can't remember them being that close before. Um, and then you've got this fascinating lineup now um with Daniel Medvedev against Dimitrov what an opportunity and we feel we've got a soft spot for for Grigor he he was a player coming through when we started this podcast and we always thought he would frankly do a lot better than he has and um 
he's a really, really lovely guy. I can't tell you, I can't stress that enough, really. Um, dealing with him behind the scenes, I've always found him to be charming, but it's not just charm. He's he's a thoughtful guy. I've, I've seen him he treats everybody nicely you know it doesn't matter it's not just people who might be a certain level of importance whether they're CEOs and all that sort of stuff he treats everybody nicely and uh, and I, I really really just pleased to see him happy because he was also devastated when Peter McNamara the Australian coach we've talked about passed away um, he was coached by him for quite a while in his early career and treated him like a father figure. So he's had a, he's had a rough ride of, of late, Grigor. Um, and this is huge. This is huge. It's a Grand Slam semi-final for the third time. And arguably, well, it certainly is his best chance of getting through to a final because the others were against Nadal in Australia and Djokovic at Wimbledon. And here he is playing Daniel Medvedev now, who's a gr- really, really good player. But... Is, is surely on fumes um, for a place in the Grand Slam final. I mean, it's incredible, really. Um, so, well done, Dimitrov. I suspect uh, Federer will take this one hard for a couple of days um, and he'll, he'll really wonder what might have been. And Sorry, folks, those of you, including us, who were very keen on a Nadal-Federer final, or oh, I was anyway, I don't think Catherine's so bothered, she, she, um, she'll quite happy have the uh, whatever it throws up, I think. Um, and look, I'm really delighted that it's Dimitrov because I, I think it's, it's a cool story in its own right. But yeah, Federer-Nadal ain't happening this year and it may well never happen. This was as good a chance as you could imagine. So that's that for the evening session. Serena Williams was absolutely dominant 44 minutes it took her to beat um Wang Chang and uh, and she didn't even play that badly it's just it's just that Serena was awesome tonight uh and she now will face Alina Svitolina in the semi-finals so that's the lineup tomorrow we've got uh, Berrettini against Monfils we have uh, Schwartzman against Nadal in the evening session um Still loads and loads of good tennis to look forward to. And, uh, and we really look forward to bringing it all to you. Just a couple of final thoughts. We um, were talking earlier on about Super Saturday, weren't we? And uh, I decided to do, look it up a little bit. That 1984 match, it was mid-80s. I knew it was mid-80s, but it's 84, um, which is still regarded as one of the great tennis days. I slightly got the order of the matches wrong, um, but this is the gist of what happened. Stan Smith and John Newcomb played a sort of bonus match between former champions. Then they got the first men's semi-final out, and that was Ivan Lendl against Pat Cash. Five sets, two of them tiebreakers. Then after that, it was the women's singles final between Martina Navratilova and Chris Evert. <laughs> and then after that, it was John McEnroe against Jimmy Connors. And that went five sets and ended at 11.16 p.m., 12 hours after Super Saturday began. Uh, Martina said afterwards, or more recently, now it seems inconceivable that we didn't have a starting time for our final. For me, that was the most difficult thing. I think Super Saturday was great for TV and the fans, but horrible for all the players. Um, And, well, you can see what she means. Uh, Difficult for all of them, whether it's the semi-final starting at 11 or the one that's finishing at 11 and the women's final kind of 
not having its start time, which which is such a big deal. The other thing I wanted to mention is we, when we were on the show yesterday, we were in the car. You may remember we went over that spectacular bridge um, on 59th Street. Now, to us, silly Brits, 59th Street doesn't mean an awful lot. It's just a number of one of the roads. We didn't know it was a really cool bridge with loads of history and and uh, and, a, and a great story of its own oh, we have been inundated by by messages from uh, from our listeners uh, including joel taylor um and also our absolute hero mary carillo who says do not enter- underestimate that bridge please it's been a childhood favorite of this woman's life how i got from queens to manhattan uh, throughout the years and uh, she also tells us and sends us a link to a a music video from Simon and Garfunkel in 1966, the 59th Street Bridge Song. So I urge you to go and look it up because it's well well worth it and it's a really cool story. We didn't know we were on it, but we were. And uh, and we uh, we will give it its due respect in the future. So that's that's us really, the Tennis Podcast for another day. We will be back tomorrow with another edition of it, uh, brought to you in association with The Telegraph, uh, executive produced by TennisBalls.com with our mascot, Rio, with a Y. Um, do tell anybody you can about the show. If uh, there's anybody you think might like to listen to it, let them know. Leave us an iTunes review, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, that's always appreciated. We'll leave the uh, the link in our show notes, as we will for our newsletter. If you want to get on there and get our daily newsletter each morning, it's free. You get Matt's stats, you get our daily predictions, most of them are wrong. Doesn't matter. Um, and uh, yeah, just just keep listening if you wouldn't mind. I hope you keep enjoying it. And we will be back with another one of them for you tomorrow. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 